Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Mark Armour. Mark is the author of six books, including In Pursuit of Penance and Joe Cronin, A Life in Baseball. He's also the founder of Sabres Bio Project and the co-chair of Sabres Baseball Card Committee. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. I'm glad to be here, Ross. Thank you. Well, Mark, I ask everyone this at the top of the show. Tell me what initially got you into baseball in the first place. I was pretty young. I mean, by the time I was seven, eight years old, I I knew everybody on the my favorite team, the Red Sox, and I kind of went from there. I was pretty obsessed as a nine, ten year old. Um, I think probably baseball cards were the was sort of my entree. I kind of didn't know when, when I first started collecting cards. I probably didn't know anybody that was on them. Um, and then I kind of figured it out from there, but, uh, it all happened for me pretty quickly. I was, I, I tell people that my peak as a baseball fan, no matter what I've done since then, was probably when I was nine. Some friends and I who all have the blogs or podcasts or whatever, we, we did something a few years ago where we did our favorite players at every position, basically. And every one of us, our favorite players were players that debuted before we graduated high school. I feel like that's the way it should be, right? Yeah, I think that's true. I, I think that uh, if you if you people ask me all the time, like who my favorite players are now, and I'm much more sort of analytical, you know, where I think, oh, okay, he's, this guy has the most value or whatever. But when you're 10 or 12 or something, your favorite player is something completely unrelated to that. So I think that's a little bit more romantic. Well, this is the baseball card episode of the Replacement Level Podcast, so that'll be very fun. I was a collector as a kid, and you mentioned that that started your interest in baseball as well. But tell me a little bit just about how you started collecting as a kid and what you were building towards as a kid and how you collect now. So I'm 57, so my first years of collecting as a, like I said, a really young kid, six, seven years old, were uh like in the late 60s and um and i you know was not a rich kid so it wasn't like i you know was able to buy the set i was getting a pack here and a pack there and i was just very fascinated by the players i kind of didn't take me too long to figure out who the players were who the best players were who the players were on my team and um I I was building i kind of wanted everybody i didn't i wasn't a kid at, at that time that had any notion of value or or you know rookie cards or rarities or anything like that i mean if if i had two pete roses and you had one dick deets then i i thought it was a pretty good trade if i needed dick deets i i, I kind of wanted everybody and they were all pretty much the same other than the you know the guys on my team so i've always sort of been a set collector more than you know finding sort of value in certain players or rookie cards or anything. I, I think that my curse has always been if somebody gives me 10 cards from some, you know, new card set, then I, I kind of feel like I need to either get rid of the 10 cards or I need to complete the set, which is, uh, you know, a little bit of a curse. I, I think um, I was a pretty avid collector as a kid I kind of uh, have faded off and on over the years. I certainly didn't collect very much, uh, uh, much less once the big boom happened, like in the late 80s. I think I started to fade away a little bit. And 
you know, had kids and, and just kind of went on to other things. But recently, I never got rid of any of my cards. Um, so I always had my cards from when I was young. And I kept my cards in pretty good shape as well. So it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't, I wasn't starting over. So, you know, over the years, I've sort of picked it at it and tried to complete some of the old sets that I had and, and, and also gone, you know, backwards gradually. But even today, um, the, my favorite cards are still the cards from my, like what you said about favorite players. They're still the cards from my youth. And when I started getting into it again, I, I started sort of filling in a little bit from the, some of the top sets that I missed out on. But I'm, I think I'm pre- a pretty boring uh, collector in the sense that, you know, the top base set is still kind of my go-to even now. So you started in the late 60s and you still have the cards. Please tell me you still have the Nolan Ryan and the Tom Seaver. I absolutely do. I, I, um, the Ryan I have is probably... My, probably one I pulled out of the pack as a kid. The Seaver I got later, um, but but not long enough later so that it was terribly expensive. I probably spent, you know, thirty or forty dollars on it, which was a lot of money for me as a you know, as a maybe in college. But um yes, I, I have I have complete sets from uh, starting in in nineteen sixty four. So before my I started collecting. I've I've sort of filled in behind me a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I still like, I still like taking them out and looking at them and, and whatnot. It's still, still a lot of fun. How do you store your cards? How do you keep your cards? Are you a box guy, a binder guy, penny sleeves, top loaders? How do you keep all your sets and your cards in general? You know, it's funny you should say that because I, I sort of changed my mind about this over the years. Um, I had them all in binders for many years and I had them all sort of numerical. And um, I decided, you know, over the course of time that I wasn't getting anything out of them particularly. So I would, I would pull out my, you know, 1975 cards and they'd all be, you know, they were in a binder and they were numerical and I'd look at them and it, I don't know, maybe it was just because they were always stored the same way for so long. I, I thought it was becoming a little bit boring. So I, I kind of took them out of binders and this took a, uh, a long time. It wasn't like I could do that in a day, but just sort of gradually I got boxes and penny sleeves and, and kind of transferred them so that I could then, you know, put them in teams and, and kind of make, you know, all-star teams out of them and do the, the kinds of things that I did when I was 12 with my cards And this. And I kept this up for a few years and I even blogged about it and it became kind of a fun controversy on the on the saber baseball cards blog with people you know on both sides sort of fun arguing about like what whether this was sane or not and now i've kind of put a lot of them back in binders because i didn't i was running out of room uh to do do it the way i wanted i think what it comes down to for me is i really like the process of going through them and what that probably means is that every few years I have to change my mind. And that allows me to go through the cards again. Yeah, I'm in a similar situation. I was a big card collector when I was a kid. The peak years of my card collecting were probably 
87 to like 92. We were told growing up in the junk wax era, we didn't know they were junk wax at the time. We thought these were like the keys to our retirement. We always associated value with cards. We all had Beckett's and Tough Stuff's if those are still things. And we all had those and we all assumed that these Ken Griffey Jr. cards and then a few years later with a Shaq rookie card, oh, we'll be rich off of this because at some point before this, cards started becoming valuable. When did that actually start happening? When did cards gain value? I remember a few months ago, I had someone come to uh, repair repair our hot water heater, and I had a stack of cards out on my desk. He saw them, and he started talking to me about cards, and he was saying how he grew up in the 50s and the 60s. No one had any value attached to cards that put the cards on their bikes. They would fling them across the room. And he was saying as a Mets fan and as someone who just disliked the Yankees in general, they would take all of the Yankees cards and throw them in the sewer. And I was just like, he's like, in hindsight, we were throwing mantles in the sewer. And it, but they didn't know that there was value attached to them at all. When did cards actually start becoming valuable in people's minds? And not just in minds, but in terms of what people were paying for them. That That's a good question. I, I don't think that question has ever been answered uh, satisfactorily, at least to me. Um, There have been like hobbyists, um, I think since the beginning, I think since the 50s, there were people that were saving their cards and trading them and even maybe even going to flea markets and trying to buy old cards and whatever. But this was a kind of a niche thing. I can remember when I was a kid, and you can still see this, if you you look at... um, old copies of the sporting news and this is you you can see this online you'll see advertisements in the back uh, for um, dealers that are selling uh, baseball cards and they will let's say it's 1971 and they're selling uh, cards they're selling either the set or you can order them by card number so you can say i need these 12 cards and they'll charge let's say five cents a piece for these cards. And it was literally unrelated to who the player was. So you, so you could, you could get like these 25 cards that you want. And maybe one of them is Henry Aaron or one of them is Lily Mays. And one of them is, is, you know, Duffy Dyer and they're all five cents. And not only that, but the same guy is offering cards from say the last three or four years same thing he's offering them all for a nickel a piece so he bought you know cases of these cards and he's he's selling them um you know because so he you know cost him less than a penny a piece for the cards in if he's buying them in packs and he's um has a shop and he's you know opening up hundreds of these things and he's selling them for a nickel a piece so i would say definitely by the early 1970s, they had no value, or they had, they had not increased in value beyond, um, you know, the fact that this guy's making, you know, a nickel on these cards. So I think it was in the 70s that it started to grow. And I think the first Beckett book, you know, the annual book that he started with, before he had the magazine, he had a he had an annual book that came out. That was like in the late 70s, and by then you could open that up and discover that people wanted, you know, two dollars for Willie Mays cards, and and no longer five cents. And maybe the first mantle card, you know, might have been like a hundred dollars. I think that was sort of it. So I think in the '70s, it started to become something that was 
had value, but sort of in a fun way, like stamps. And then in the 80s, things started to sort of explode. And it was probably largely because of people like your friend that were throwing their cards in the sewer because you need scarcity for it to have value. So if everybody kept them, which is what happened in the 80s, nobody nobody got rid of them, and no one ever damaged them, then suddenly having a mint Ken Griffey rookie card wasn't that unusual. And when did rookie cards become so coveted? Were rookies always what people were targeting? When I was a kid and I would go to card shops with my dad, he never understood the rookie thing. He he didn't understand why a player's best year wasn't their most coveted card. He's like, why don't you want a 1961 Roger Maris? That was his best year. He doesn't understand the rookie thing. Is it just because they're a little more rare? No, they're, they're no more rare, or at least they're not necessarily more rare. I mean, there are some exceptions. Um, if, if, like, say, the Tom Seaver, his rookie card happens to be in a high number series, so it is, it is more rare than ordinarily. But the, the first time I heard of the rookie phenomenon was around 1980 or so, and I was very surprised because I went into a, a card shop, and there were very few of them at this point, but I was in Boston, and there was a card shop not far from Fenway Park, and I had gone to a ball game with some friends, and we saw this card shop, and we thought it was really cool. We walked in, and the guy was selling um, some card for, I think it would maybe even, it might have even been the Pete Rose uh, rookie card, and he had it, and I had never seen it before, and he had it, and he was selling it for some premium, I'm going to say $40 or something. Maybe it wasn't even that much, but it was much more than, than you know, the Willie Mays of that year 1963 and i even asked him i said so what what's the deal with that pete rose card and the pete rose rookie card is not he did not have a card to himself he there was uh it was pretty it's pretty ugly that is there's five people's sort of floating heads on this card he's one of the rookies on this card and um so it probably just says like p rose reds or something but that is is the first time he appeared on the card and I said to the guy, what's the deal? And he said, it's his rookie card, which seemed like a tautology to me. Like I knew it was his first card, but why does that make it more valuable? He didn't really have an answer other than he showed me this book, which was probably the Beckett guide that had the value in there. But, you know, my feeling at the time, I was sort of cynical and I still am, is that this phenomenon was sort of created by a dealer or some dealers or card manufacturers. I, I don't, I, I think that collectors at that in the eighties were following the prices, not the other way around. And suddenly it's like, well, if it's more valuable, I need it. And then of course it became more valuable. Well, that's really interesting. And it's funny too, because I, I collected rookie cards because I was told that's what we were supposed to do. But I used to love getting cards of older guys with that had their full career stats at that point. I loved looking at like Tommy John cards and Burt Blylevin cards and Don Sutton when I was a kid. I loved seeing like Gary Carter, like his cards when he was with the Giants, just because I loved looking at all the stats and all the career numbers. I love last year cards. That's still something I really like is I like players last year on their card. I wish that those had value. And I feel like especially in like the 80s, those cards aren't any more rare than the rookies. They were printed the same bazillion times. I, I don't know. It just seems like the quality of the card or how nice the card looks should matter more than just if it's a rookie or not. Yeah, and, and basically, um, as you know, I mean, the value of, of a baseball card is, is all 
just like anything else, is based on supply and demand. There is there was no more supply. The supply doesn't really vary over time, uh, at least at least not in in that era. And the demand, if you ask a bunch of people, I I, I can't tell you how common what you just said is. So so people say yes. I don't think rookie cards are all that interesting to me, and I really do like their final year cards. And yet, they're not as valuable. It seems like they should be if there are people that actually like them more. But it hasn't happened. Uh, the rookie cards still have this. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if it's how true it still is. Like, I, I don't know if the Mike Trout. It, it probably is. Yeah, I mean, the Mike first Mike Trout tops card is probably worth a lot of money, um, as much as cards are worth. You know, money in the in this decade, but yeah, it's a, it's a strange, it's a sort of a strange phenomenon to me. This is one of the things, and I think there's a lot that we like about the hobby. We're both adults at this point who still collect cards, but there are things I dislike, and one of the things I dislike now is how many cards are out before they even played in the majors, and just how many cards in general. So Trout has his first tops card is the 2011 tops update. And that graded as a 10 goes somewhere between 200 and 300 bucks because all new cards to have value apparently have to be graded, which is uh, a whole yeah. other world. And But he has cards before that. He has prospect cards from Bowman, 2009, 10, that are valuable as well. But it's one of those weird things where it's like his rookie card is not his first card. And I don't know, all these cards exist before it. And I just think about this. I was talking about this with my wife the other day, and she was talking about how uh, she collected a little bit as a kid, but she did it for like two years. But she was saying how she always wanted a Cal Ripken rookie, and she knew that there were three of them. And at this point, I was like, well, what if you really wanted a Shohei Otani rookie? You literally have like 35 of them to choose from. Yeah, it, it, it's true. So you, you, you kind of started by asking me, you know, what kind of cards I collect or what kind of collector I am, and which is a great question. And it is also the case that it's harder and harder for people like me now to sort of keep it all straight. So you have to sort of make a decision, like what you're going to collect. Um, I, I was old enough so that when Tops lost their monopoly, so in 1981 was the first time that really, other than a couple of um, fluky exceptions, it was really the first time that somebody had other than Tops had been able to put out a, a base set in 25 years and uh, Donruss and Fleer. And I was, you know, 20 or something when that happened. And I think over time I just said, well, I can collect three card sets because, you know, it's probably $30 total for these three sets. I can keep up. I, you know, I, I don't have to buy these packs. I can just buy the sets. And I did that for a few years until it became, you know, 25 sets. And then, um, you know, what can you really get out of it? And now I think, you know, tops themselves are putting out many sets. So it, it is difficult to keep track of. And as you know, you mentioned Otani, there's, there are all these, um, you know, variations that they put out and, you know, short prints and d different cards that share the same checklist number. So you think you have the card of that guy, but then you can get another pose so it it is it is just it's just quite a bit more challenging if you really want to collect quote unquote the top set. Where do you stand on graded cards? Do you get any of your cards graded? I don't, but you know, I mean, teach his own. I'm not going to say people shouldn't do it. Uh, I understand why it happens. 
Um, for me, I just have so many cards that if I suddenly have graded cards, like do I put them in the album? Do, you know, how, how does that? And I've I've bought card sets before, like sets that came out like during the years that I wasn't really buying cards. So like, so let's say I wanted to buy like a somebody. Uh, I bought like a 1985 tops traded set or something, and it's like 132 cards. And there was a couple cards in there that were graded because they were, you know, important rookie cards or something. And and so then I got I so you know I have this box and these two extra things and I didn't know how to deal with it. So for the most part, I haven't done that. The problem comes and someone told me this that if I ever decide that I want to actually sell car, my cards, it's like really hard to sell with, without them being graded. So I don't know. I'm I. I'm kind of torn, I guess. But but the answer to your question is no, I haven't really done it. And how has eBay influenced your collecting style as an adult? It obviously wasn't around when you were a kid or when I was a kid, but I took a break from collecting. I collected for, you know, 87 to 92, maybe 93. It was, I loved it. I did it every Saturday. I would buy packs, every and packs were everywhere. Supermarkets, at convenience stores, I would get them everywhere. And I was never a set builder. I just wanted the guys that I liked. But then I took a break from cards about for about 22 years. I didn't buy a card. I didn't buy anything. I just was completely removed from the hobby. And I got back into it part because of eBay. I remember someone told me they were buying cards on eBay and I was looking up some of the cards that I grew up with and it was like, wait, you could buy one card, one 89 Dunruss Griffey Jr. for a dollar, but you can buy 25 of them for four dollars. What is going on here? eBay is what got me back into cards because it's like you don't have to go anywhere and time can be, uh, time is very valuable when you're an adult and cards just show up in your mail, which is great. But it also, I feel like, is devaluing the prices even more. What do you think? I think that's probably true. Um, I think it's, it, it, especially if you don't require the cards to be graded, like I don't. So I, I've, I've bought vintage cards on eBay. Like, you know, like let's say I wanted to get a 1961 Al Kaline card. I, I think that vintage cards, ungraded, um, and you you can get a pretty nice photo of it and convince yourself that this is a this is a decent card. It doesn't have any wrinkles. The corners are pretty good. And I don't think the value of these cards has really changed that much in the last twenty twenty five years. I, I think it, it's changed if you if you wanted a PS eight nine ten, but the run of the mill kind of excellent cards that I kind of uh, is sort of my sweet spot. Uh, have stayed pretty steady, I think. Um, and I think they probably came down when eBay started, and they've kind of stayed down. Well, moving off of eBay, I'm curious if you were the baseball card wizard and you could change anything about the industry, what would you change? I'm going to assume that as a wizard that I'm only concerned about myself and uh, I'm not concerned about anyone else. I, I, so yeah, in other words, I'm going to be selfish. So if I was to do that, I think that what I would want is I would want tops to put out a set every year that is the kind of set that I grew up with, which means that there are 25 roughly cards per team. So it isn't just the top 
you know, 16 guys on the team, but rather you have the utility infielders and you have the left-handed relief pitchers and everything so that you, as a fan, you sort of get to know the whole roster. I think that as teams have expanded, as the leagues have expanded, uh, Tops has not, you know, increased their card set. So therefore there's fewer cards per team than there used to be. And I think, um, I think it's less, I think it's less fun. It's, it's sort of more sort of star oriented and less, you know, entire roster oriented than it was. I think that's what I would like. I would make fewer cards and fewer sets in general. Like, I don't, I don't get the opening day set at all. Tops releases their series one, which I get. And then like a month later, they release opening day, which look like the exact same cards. It just says opening day on the bottom corner. I, I don't understand why we need that. I don't understand why we need Alan Ginters to come out every year and look exactly the same. I don't get it. I also miss borders, and I, I feel like the last three sets all kind of look the same. I wish that they would look a little different. I absolutely agree with all of what you said. Uh, the opening day thing, which I've never owned, I don't think, at least not on purpose, the, um, the it, first of all, they come out before opening day, so it's, it's, so it's not like it's not like they are commemorating the players that happen to make the opening day roster, which I think would make some sort of sense if you if you kind of wanted to say, hey, here's the San Francisco Giants opening day team. But it isn't that. It is it is nothing other than another set. So yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I would prefer to Tops just had one set. I mean, I don't get the point. Uh, although I, I kind of like the um, heritage. I like the heritage set. I, I know some people don't. Um, and maybe it's because, at least in the last few years, they've been going through cards from my youth those designs but um yeah far fewer sets would be would be great yeah i think that would make things a lot easier and alan ginter never understood it never cared yeah i could see it being a thing that existed because it was something new at first but when it's the same card over and over i i just don't get the appeal but what what's your favorite card what's your favorite card that you have you know i feel like when people ask me this i always i never have the same answer um, because I don't remember what I said the last time, but um, I, I guess I guess the safest choice for me is probably my favorite player when I was a kid was uh, Carl Yastrzemski. I was a Red Sox fan and still am. Uh, he was my favorite player, which is kind of boring because he was their best player, but nonetheless, he was my favorite player. And my favorite card of his was the 1969 card, which is... Um, a pretty simple card because back then, you know, players posed for cards. They were not, there was no action, nothing like that. So it was kind of a dull uh, card. I didn't think of it as dull then. I thought of it as dull later when I realized that it was just another posed card. But um, I, I still can, you know, pick up cards from my childhood. And I, it does, it does kind of bring me back. I do. I mean, it doesn't literally, I don't literally think of the day I bought that card. I'm not that good, but it does make me feel like uh, that time and place of, of being a child and, and, uh, and having cards of, of that vintage. Um, so I would say 1969. Yeah. So what about you? Well, I'm, I'm with the 89 upper deck Griffey. I love that card. The 90 leaf Frank Thomas. I love that card too. 
and 87 Tops. So those were my three, the three sets that were my favorites as a kid. And some of those cards, there's 87 Tops with the wood border, the Jose Canseco of that year, which I know is not his real rookie card, but it's like a perfectly framed and perfectly centered card. And I love that card. And I still get that nostalgia of when I'm like sorting through it. And I've done the same thing. I've had them in boxes and I've recently put stuff in binders and then I put them back in penny sleeves. And I, it's just, I think part of it is you need the sorting mind needs to sort. But I also think part of it is part of the reason why I haven't been jumping aboard the graded card train is because I like to touch the cards and I like to sort them and I feel like once they're graded they kind of just go into a box because there's there's nothing to do with them yeah so those were my three favorite sets 87 tops 89 upper deck and 90 leaf and um I was a big Frank Thomas guy even though I was a Red Sox fan and I think because of baseball cards I always had favorite players on other teams and those were the guys I was always trying to collect I was trying to get Frank Thomas and Dale Murphy and Eric Davis and Griffey and Mike Mussina and I I just wanted to get a bunch of guys a bunch of cards of guys I liked and I was never really building towards sets I just wanted to try and try and get cards of guys I liked and to get some Red Sox cards and I loved it like as a whole I loved card collecting as a kid. It's one of my happier memories of a kid is collecting cards with my dad. But uh, mm-hmm. getting back into it, adulthood has been fun. I have been like getting starter cards ready for my son. He's three. He, I give him packs to open, and you know he doesn't he he doesn't care at all at this point. But he's starting to like baseball, and hopefully in a few years he'll start to like cards too. Yeah, you know if you if you buy a you know a stack of card packs today and you open them up and you sort of set aside you know if you, you give up your dreams of this being your son's childhood education it's it's still very a very very similar experience in that you you um you get to get whatever 10 cards or 12 cards or whatever there is i don't even know and you get to get like one or two cards of people you've never heard of and you get to get one superstar and you get a couple other all-stars and you get to get somebody on your favorite team and a bunch of guys not on your favorite team. And it's always been that way. And that's, that is cool. I, I really like the variety that you get in any pack. I mean, every pack is going to, is going to have a star in it or somebody that at least can claim to be a star at least today. And uh, that hasn't changed. That's still fun. And when my son, he, he didn't really take to it. He's 16 and we went through a phase and he still has cards, but he's, he didn't really become the, you know, the crazy um, baseball guy that his dad is. But, but, you know, it was, it was a lot of fun and you will have fun. Uh, opening cards with your son and having him ask, like, Dad, tell me who the good players are. And I would be able to say, this this guy's really good, Drew. This guy's really good. And he would look at it and longingly. So that, that hasn't changed. And that's great. And I actually went to a baseball card show recently here in New Jersey, and I was a little worried. I was a little worried the whole scene was going to look like that scene in The Wrestler where all of the old wrestlers are on oxygen tanks and the people walking around there are a disaster <laughs> and I was worried that that was what the card show was going to look like but it was actually okay The uh, there were some kids there with their dads uh, there were some people there like everyone was digging through the 10 cent bins no, no one was really buying the high end things but uh, it was okay and it's just sort of like there were a lot of adults there there were some kids there too this can still be fun and this can be something I can enjoy as an adult so I'm glad that I've rediscovered collecting and before we let, let you go I do have to ask you how many cards do you have, roughly? 
Uh, let's see. If I was to guess, I would just, if I figured, you know, 50 sets, 840,000, maybe that's, that's kind of close, maybe 40,000. And that's, you've never, you've never had a purge of any kind. These are 40,000 cards that you've had since you were a kid and going up. No, I did. I did. So in the age that you were getting into collecting, uh, in the late eighties, I actually began selling off, not my childhood cards but the cards from the 80s that i had so i kept current for many many years so 20 years or so i didn't give it up when i was 12 like most sensible people i gave it up when i was you know 30 and uh and i started to sell off the volume because the volume had sort of overwhelmed me um and i was so i i kind of got rid of sets that still had some value like uh you know, the tops and Donruss and Fleur sets from the 80s and up until Upper Deck and everything. I started to sell those sets. I mean, not for hundreds of dollars, but for $30 or $40 or whatever they were worth. And I got trade and in exchange, I think I sold like $2,000 worth of sets that I had, including some where I had more than one set from a year. And in exchange, I just bought vintage cards. So I, I kind of went in with like a trunk load of cards and came home with 20 cards. Well, that worked out. Yeah, that was sort of my volume purge, which I'm glad I did because I didn't have the room for it. And let's, I mean, even with the cards I have now, I think, um, you know, I mean, there's a point when you have to realize that you're 2002. I think I have a 2002 top set and I probably have to ask myself, like, how many times in the rest of my life am I going to look at that? I don't know the answer to that, but um, everybody's going to have cards they don't really look at. So how about you? I'm guessing I did have a purge. I remember when I was like 16 or 17, one of my father's friend's kids got sick. And, um, you know, he was in the hospital, so I just gave him a bunch of cards. So I had a huge purge of what I was collecting as a kid then and then have like i still periodically purge commons um there's a local card shop here where that guy comes in and gives these cards like a lot of commons to the boys and girls club where he works so i just give them a ton of commons but even still with that i'm probably in the 10 to i would guess 10 to 15000 range who knows it's it's tough to gather because it's of the binders and the monster boxes yeah. and the you know cards and top loaders but most of the cards I have are from the Junk Wax era. That's That was my era. And those are still the cards I look back most fondly on, even though I know that's an era that's like universally mocked in collecting. It's what I grew up with. And those are still my favorite players. And those are still the players now that I'm like, I don't have that Dale Murphy card. I want it, you know? And, he, and the nice thing is, it's pretty affordable, that Dale Murphy card that I don't have. Yeah, I never really bought into the junk wax idea for the reason that you just said. I mean, I think that the cards you're going to like are the cards from your childhood and, and the cards from the 80s are no worse than the cards from the 60s just because there are more of them. That doesn't make them worse. All you really care about is is the one card that you have. Who cares if there's 10,000 of them in the rest of the world? It doesn't really matter. Um, I think in some ways, I, I asked this question on twitter once um and this is kind of a a question that does not have an answer um 
if you if you sort of had a you know you could be back to your playing wizard um game if you could sort of you know wave a magic wand and every baseball card in the world including yours uh, are worth uh 10 less okay so if you have a big collection and i kind of do you could say okay well whatever my cards are worth you know tomorrow they're worth 10 10 cents on the dollar from that on the other hand i can buy more cards now so the joy of sort of collecting becomes much easier. You, you, you're, the questions that you could go out and buy, you know, start collecting 1959 Topps cards, which you've never thought you could afford before, but your cards are worth less. And it was, it was kind of split down the middle. And me, I, I, would, I would take the, I would, use, I would gladly have my cards be worth less. If you want to get that Dale Murphy card, you can get it. And that's good. Whereas the cards from my childhood that I don't have, you know, it's not that easy. I mean, there everything's available back to eBay. I mean, everything's available. If you wanted to put together a 1952 top set, you can do it on eBay. You just need a lot of money. Every card's there. I don't any longer associate value with cards. And I don't. I didn't get back into cards because of value. I just got back into cards because I still love baseball and I like the cards. And I like sorting through the cards and I like looking through all the stats. I would take that deal in a heartbeat because exactly, you're exactly right. Well, now I can go get cards from the 60s. Why not? I have no idea what my cards are worth, but I'm fairly sure that it's not, it would not, you know, it's not like I could, I could suddenly, uh, you know, buy a yacht and, and, you know, move to the south of France. I mean, it's, it's, you know, if I sold all my cards tomorrow, I don't know what I would have, but I would get up the next day and do the same things I did today. It's not like my life would change that much. So I, I just assume the joy of collecting to me is still acquiring cards or trading or whatever it is. So, uh, the, 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 the more I can do that, the better. You've been listening to Mark Armour. Mark is the author of six books and the founder of Saber's Biography Project. You can give him a follow on Twitter at MarkArmour04. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. <laughs>